Come follow me, the Savior said. Then let us in his footsteps tread. For thus alone can we This is Lexi Austin, and you are listening to The Savior Said, Season 2. This is a weekly podcast that follows my study of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Each week, I will be using the Come Follow Me curriculum of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. This curriculum can be found online at comefollowme.churchofjesuschrist.org. For more fun, follow me on Facebook at facebook.com slash the Savior Said. Please note, episodes of The Savior Said are not meant to replace your Come Follow Me experience, but to supplement your own personal study of the scriptures. Hey guys, welcome back to The Savior Said. This is the assignment for April 13th through 19th, Mosiah 1 through 3, filled with love towards God and all men. And I'm recording this. This is March 20th. I know it seems like I'm really far ahead. General Conference always throws my schedule off around this time. And then also in November, it throws it off or October, it throws it a little bit off too. But um, so that's why it seems like we're so far ahead. Once we hit General Conference, things will start matching up again. But so I'm recording this on March 20th, and I'm looking at this date of April 13th, and right now we're in the middle of like the COVID-19, you know, pandemic. And one of the questions that has really been on my mind is how do I serve those around me when I have to maintain four to six feet (laughs) between me and them at all times? Um, I'm hoping as I look at the April 13th date, I am hoping that future Lexi either has answers to those questions or that life has gotten a lot better and we are able to go back into public again. Because right now, being here on lockdown, it's it's a little tough ministering to others. Um, you know, it's funny because I think as an introvert that I would have been better prepared for this. But I... I don't know. I guess it's it's just rough on everybody, I think, to be quarantined. So, um, but anyways, we're going to get talking about King Benjamin today. So, Mosiah 1 through 3. I love this. This is all King Benjamin getting his people ready to hear his speech, and we start off like with his speech. And I've always loved these chapters ever since I was a little girl because when I was like, mm, I want to say like 8 or 9, 10, you know, somewhere older primary age, we had like a ward picnic up at the state park that we have here. And so, you know, we're all there at the ward picnic and it was like, I guess like a ward breakfast or something. I don't even remember, but we're coming out and we're coming out towards the cars and where we were, they have like these big, tall fire towers that go up, you know, like I'm going to say maybe two to three stories like high to, so you can see all around so they can look and see if there's fires anywhere. And the missionaries in our ward, you know, they're, they're just being missionaries. They're just being silly, you know, 19, 20-year-old boys. But they climbed one of those fire towers, and they got to the top, and they started reading out the King Benjamin address. And so every time I read the King Benjamin's speech, I always think about those missionaries climbing up that fire tower and what it must have been like for King Benjamin's subjects to be there and listen to their king. So that's always something that stuck with me. Now, interesting to me is when we start out with the introduction, They say, when you hear the word king, you might think of crowns, castles, servants, and thrones. In Mosiah 1 through 3, you will read about a different kind of king. Rather than living off the labors of his people, King Benjamin labored with his own hands. And instead of having others serve him, he served his people with all the might, mind, and strength which the Lord had granted unto him. Okay, so King Benjamin to me is the ultimate example of a servant leader. Um, Servant leadership, if you've never heard that concept, that has been around in the business world for a pretty long while, I would say, 
I went to Wikipedia and actually looked up servant leadership. And, you know, this definition is going to be all about like the business world and employees and stuff like that. But I want you to think about how it pertains to King Benjamin, because this is definitely what I thought of when I started, you know, how's King Benjamin as a leader, like that kind of thing. Okay, servant leadership from Wikipedia. Servant leadership is a leadership philosophy in which the main goal of the leader is to serve. This is different from traditional leadership, where the leader's main focus is the thriving of their company or organizations. A servant leader shares power, puts the needs of his employees first, and helps people develop and perform as highly as possible. Servant leadership inverts the norm. Instead of the people working to serve the leader, the leader exists to serve the people. As stated by its founder, Robert K. Greenleaf, a servant leader should be focused on, do those I serve grow as people? Do they, while being served, become healthier, wiser, free, more autonomous, and more likely themselves to become servants? When leaders shift their mindset and serve first, they benefit as well as their employees and their employees acquire personal growth, while the organization grows as well due to the employees' growing commitment and engagement. Woo, that was a sentence. Okay. Since this leadership style came about, a number of different organizations have adopted this style as their way of leadership. According to a study in 2002 done by Sen Sanjaya and James C. Saros, servant leadership is being practiced in some top-ranking companies, and these companies are highly ranked because of their leadership style and their following. Okay, so end quote. But it was interesting to me, several things that were interesting to me about this that reminded me of King Benjamin is where it talked about a servant leader shares power, puts the needs of his employees first, or his people first, King Benjamin put their needs first, and helps them to develop and perform as highly as possible. And I feel like that's what King Benjamin was doing with his followers. The information he's giving them, the counsel from the Lord and his own personal counsel, is to help them develop spiritually and to perform as highly as possible spiritually to come as close as they can to their Savior and to their Heavenly Father. Like, that was his purpose in leading them. And so that's where I see the servant leadership. Another thing that was interesting to me was, do those served grow as people? Do they, while being served, do they become healthier, wiser, freer, more autonomous, and more likely themselves to become servants? And I think all of those boxes are checked by King Benjamin. You know, while he's serving them, his people became healthier Spiritually, I think they also probably became healthier physically as well. They became wiser, definitely. He imparted great wisdom to them about the Savior. All right, they become freer because they're free from the bondage of sin, and they're more likely themselves to become servants because of his example. So in our organizations that we're in, whether it be a family, or whether it be a calling, or whether it just be a a circle of friends, are we servant leaders Are we helping those around us to become healthier, wiser, freer, more autonomous, and more likely to become servants? You know, that was an interesting definition to me, too, because I think sometimes, especially as a mom, I tend to think servant leadership is like taking care of everyone while ignoring my own needs and doing things for other people that they can actually do themselves. But if I'm truly being a servant leader, then those people while being served become healthier, wiser, more autonomous, which means, you know, if they can do it themselves, then I need to help them learn how to do it themselves instead of doing it for them. Instead of doing my son's laundry, I need to teach him how to do laundry because in the long run, that's really going to be a skill that can benefit him. So as a leader in my home, I need to take on that role. 
Do you see? So King Benjamin, instead of like doing laundry for people, spiritual laundry for people, he's he's teaching them how to put their spiritual laundry into the atonement and get it, you know, washed and everything like that there in the atonement of Jesus Christ. So I don't know. That's just like some of the thoughts I had swirling around in my brain this week as we were talking about King Benjamin and his role and the things that he was doing to help his people. You know, it wasn't just serving them and handing, giving handouts or whatever, but he was actually teaching them to help make them better, to help make them more independent spiritually so that they can have their own personal relationship with their heavenly father and not have to depend on him. Yeah, I I really just really like these chapters this week, I guess, because again, it was also so familiar that we read it a lot. So it just felt very comforting, Um, especially, you know, amid the panic of COVID-19. It was very nice to go to something comforting and familiar. Okay, going into Come Follow Me. The first section says, Mosiah 2, 1 through 9, receiving the word of God requires preparation. It says, when King Benjamin sent word that he wanted to speak to his people, so many people came that they did not number them. They came in part because of their gratitude and love for their leader, but more important, they came to be taught the word of God. As you read Mosiah 2, 1 through 9, look for what the people did to show that they valued God's word. What did King Benjamin ask them to do to better prepare to hear God's word? And how can you better prepare yourself to receive the word of God in your personal and family study during church meetings? Okay, so let's look at 1 through 9. Mosiah 2, 1 through 9. Here's what it says. And it came to pass that after Mosiah had done as his father had commanded him and had made a proclamation throughout all the land, that the people gathered themselves together throughout all the land, that they might go up to the temple to hear the words which King Benjamin should speak unto them. Okay, pause. I think it's really interesting that they went up to the temple. This to me shows traces of the Jewish heritage um, here in the New World among the Nephites and Zarahemlaites or whatever, um, because this would have been something that would have happened, you know, anciently in the Jewish faith. That's where they go to learn as they go to the temple. You know, I think in our modern day, we tend to say, oh, yes, he went to the temple because that's, you know, where you get instruction from the Lord. And yes, and that's really good. But this is a Jewish cultural thing. Like they, they had festivals that centered around their temple that they would go and like hang out at the little temple and you know, like the festival of the booths. Um, I forget what it is that we, we studied last year. The Feast of Tabernacles, Sukkot. That's right. So that whole, that whole festival centered all around the temple. So King Benjamin asking his people to go bring their family and their tents and put tents up all around the temple. To me, that reminds me so much of Sukkot, where they, you know, it was the Feast of Tabernacles, all these little tents that surrounded the temple there in Jerusalem. Same thing is happening here. So to me, that really kind of shows that culture that kind of carried over. And it's interesting, again, to me, it's just another piece of evidence that the Book of Mormon is true, because how else would Joseph Smith have known that that was a thing? I don't know. I just, I like that little fact there. Okay, going on into Mosiah's second chapter, Verse 2, and there was a great number, even so many that they did not number them, for they had multiplied exceedingly and waxed great in the land. And they took of their firstlings of their flock, that they might offer sacrifice and burnt offerings according to the law of Moses, and also that they might give thanks to the Lord their God, who had brought them out of the land of Jerusalem and who had delivered them out of the hands of their enemy, and had appointed just men to be their teachers, and also a just man to be their king who had established peace in the land of Zarahemla, and who had taught them to keep the commandments of God, that they might rejoice and be filled with love towards God and all mankind. Okay, so again, pause. King Benjamin, he not only serving them, but teaching them to serve, teaching them to be independent, teaching them to be autonomous, but also to serve others too. Um, I just love that. Okay. Five. 
And it came to pass that when they came to the temple, they pitched their tents round about, every man according to his family, consisting of his wife and his sons and his daughters and their sons and their daughters, from the eldest down to the youngest, every family being separate one from another. They pitched their tents round about the temple, every man having his tent with the door thereof towards the temple, that thereby they might remain in their tents and hear the words which King Benjamin should speak unto them. For the multitude being so great that King Benjamin could not teach them all within the walls of the temple, therefore he caused a tower to be erected, and thereby his people might hear the words which he should speak unto them. And it came to pass that he began to speak to his people from the tower, and they could not all hear his words because of the greatness of the multitude. Therefore he caused that words which he spake should be written, and sent forth among those who were not under the sound of his voice, that they might also receive his words. And these are the words which he spake and caused to be written. I'm going to pause there because that goes into his whole address. Um, what I like here is the assembling together of the family and, you know, the tents and stuff all around the temple. And then King Benjamin being so inventive and creative to find a way to take his words out to people who can't even hear him. And it was interesting this week as I was going, I went on to churchofjesuschrist.org to find like conference talks and stuff about King Benjamin and King Benjamin's speech. And I found a conference talk. That was kind of about this. And it made me think about our own conference that we have coming up. You know, Russell M. Nelson said that this April 2020 conference is going to be different from any other general conference we've ever had. And obviously now, due to all the closures and everything, of course it's going to be different. And I don't think any of us anticipated that way, but he did. He's a prophet of God. And he was able to figure out different ways to get his message out to people who are listening to him. Okay, I'm going to go into this conference talk that I found. It's actually from 2000 and let me see. Oh, just from straight up 2000. I thought it was 2002, but it's straight up 2000. It's by L. Tom Perry, and it's called Thou Shalt Give Heed Unto All His Words. So he starts off talking about the last couple of years. They'd been watching the construction of the conference center, and there was time for the big unveiling of the conference center. This was the first time that they were going to be able to gather together as saints in the conference center in 2000. So and I remember that. I remember going out there and touring it right before the first general conference and being like, whoa, this is so cool. He talks about it being a new era in church history, an era of broader, more profound reach, influence, and an era of greater growth and impact. And he talks about, you know, there in the year 2000, in 1999, December of 1999, the final meeting of the first presidency in the 12 that year, that President Hinckley, who was the prophet at the time, told them that for the last apostleship meeting, I guess, or whatever their, that meeting would be called of the 12 in the first presidency, that instead of doing business at that meeting, he just wanted all of them to get together and to bear their testimonies of Christ. And they were there in the temple. And he asked them to take any business that they had and save it to the January meeting of uh, 2000. So here in December of 1999, you have the 12 and the first presidency. They're in a room in the Salt Lake Temple bearing their testimonies of Christ to each other. Like what a beautiful and sacred moment that must have been. And so L. Tom Perry's talking about it in this talk that he's giving. He says, the meeting was a spiritual feast filled with the witness and testimony of our Lord and Savior. After partaking of the sacrament, each member of the twelve stood and bore his witness to the mission of Jesus the Christ, the Savior of the world. The concluding three testimonies were given by members of the First Presidency, the final witness being given by President Hinckley. It was a sobering yet joyous occasion as we strengthened each other with strong testimonies. 
President Hinckley added to his powerful emotional witness a list of concerns for the future. One of his concerns particularly stuck in my mind. His worry was with great growth of the church throughout the world, it would become increasingly difficult for the apostles to reach all the members of the church and personally admonish them to live the gospel. Thus, the future would bring greater reliance on technology to carry the gospel message to a worldwide church. As we review the sacred history contained in the Holy Scriptures, we find similar events when a prophet of God sees significant changes in the horizons ahead. It is interesting that when such critical events occur, great and inspired attention and detail are given both to the prophetic message and the way it is delivered. That is, the technology that's used to carry the gospel message. I am reminded of the great sermon King Benjamin delivered to his people, which is found in the first chapters of the book of Mosiah. The righteous king had served his people long and faithfully, and it was time to turn the leadership over to his son. But before doing so, he wanted to leave his witness and testimony of the Lord and Savior to his people. He wanted first to instruct his sons that they might become men of understanding, that they might know concerning the prophecies which had been spoken by the mouths of their fathers, which were delivered them by the hand of the Lord. He also taught them concerning the records that were engraven on the plates of brass, saying, My sons, I would that ye should remember that were it not for these plates, which contain these records and these commandments, we must have suffered in ignorance, even at this present time, not knowing the mysteries of God. Keeping the doctrine pure was foremost in King Benjamin's mind, so he wanted all of his people to receive his witness and his word. He instructed that Mosiah, his son and successor, be brought before him, and to him he gave specific instructions concerning the gathering of his people for this, his final conference. He said, My son, I would that you should make a proclamation throughout all this land among all this people, or the people of Zarahemla and the people of Mosiah who dwell in the land, that thereby they should be gathered together. For on the morrow I shall proclaim unto this people, unto this my people out of mine own mouth that thou art a king and a ruler over this people whom the Lord our God hath given us and moreover I shall give this people a name that thereby they might be distinguished above all the people with the Lord God hath brought out of the land of Jerusalem and this I do because they have been a diligent people in keeping the commandments of the Lord and that's from Mosiah 1 10 through 11 then Mosiah went forth and proclaimed to the people that they should gather themselves and go up unto the temple that they might hear the words of his father And the people gathered together, and they pitched their tents round about, every man according to his family. They pitched their tents with their doors towards the temple, so that they might hear the words of King Benjamin as he instructed them in the doctrines of eternal life. Because of the number of people that were gathered within and without the walls of the temple, the king had a tower erected so they could hear his words. But he realized that even with the tower, not all would be able to hear. So he caused that his words should be written and sent forth among the families who are not within the sound of his voice that all might receive his words. From this tower, he told his people to open their ears and to listen to his testimony of the Savior. After prophesying and bearing testimony, he counseled them about how to return to their heavenly father. And this is from Mosiah 2. He says, And moreover, I would desire that you should consider on the blessed and happy state of those that keep the commandments of God. For behold, they are blessed in all things both temporal and spiritual, and if they hold out faithful to the end, they are received into heaven, that thereby they may dwell with God in a state of never-ending happiness. Oh, remember, remember that these things are true, for the Lord God hath spoken it. Finally, to ensure that his people understood his words and kept their covenants with God to keep his commandments, 
King Benjamin appointed priests to teach the people that thereby they might hear and know the commandments of God to stir them up in remembrance of the oath which they had made. In many ways, King Benjamin used all the technologies available to him in his day to gather his people, spread the good word of God, and to reinforce the word. In another era, we find another prophet using new media to have his message reach the hearts of the people. There was a special conference held at the time the church reached its 100th birthday. and We find this record from the 100th annual conference held in the tabernacle on Sunday, April 6, 1930. In accordance with instructions previously issued by the First Presidency of the Church, the following program was carried out in all the wards and branches of the Church, commencing at 10 a.m. Sunday, April 6th, where arrangements had been made for people to assemble in their local chapels and listen, by means of radio equipment, to the services as they were broadcast from the tabernacle in Salt Lake City. The building was crowded to capacity, every seat being taken and the aisles and doorways and every other available space occupied. And that's from the conference report of April 1930. Heber J. Grant, presiding at this broadcast session of the General Conference, began, My heart is full of gratitude, beyond my power to express, as I look upon this wonderful audience of the priesthood of the living God, gathered together with the officers of our organizations, assembled here in the conference in commemoration of the 100th anniversary of the Organization of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. I am about to read you an address by the First Presidency of the Church, copies of which have been sent to all wards, stakes, missions, and all countries where we have organizations of the Church. At this hour, all over the world, this message will be read to our people. Like King Benjamin, President Grant began by bearing his testimony of God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. Then he went to emphasize some of the great scientific knowledge, inventions, and industrial developments that have harnessed the forces of the universe and been adapted for the comfort and convenience of men. He stated, Undoubtedly, the greatest miracle of the century is the accomplishment by which the human voice with the personality of the speaker may be indefinitely preserved and reproduced with every detail of originality. Okay, I'm going to pause there. So it's so interesting to me. You know, he's talking about we've got Three different, I guess, scenarios where the word of God had to be passed out to people. So we have King Benjamin, who's trying to reach people who can't hear him. And so he's, you know, number one on a tower and number two, sending out among his people papers, you know, with the stuff that he's written on with his trusted messengers. Number two, it talks about President Hinckley realizing that people need to hear the messages more than ever. And so building this giant conference center that can house thousands of people in it and also using technology to spread it. And then we have Heber J. Grant in the 100th anniversary of the church, who's for the first time broadcasting the conference by radio. But then he's also sending out letters to all the bishops and stake presidents everywhere in the world to read at the exact same time. Um, It's interesting to me as, as I'm Here in March, we're preparing for the April General Conference, and there may be some of you that are listening to this after the April General Conference. So just know that as I'm talking about this, I don't know what's going to go down at April General Conference. I just know that um, we're preparing for it and already that they are making changes to the way that they're doing conference because of the virus, but also I think just to keep it as sacred as possible, we're using all the technologies that we have to spread the message of Jesus Christ all around the world, especially during this virus. Um, You know, you have missionaries who are doing all of their missionary work online. Like, that's crazy to think about that. Even 10 years ago, to think of missionary work being completely online, you know, the mind would be boggled. But now it's happening, you know. And I think about, you know, what President Grant said about, 
you know, technology capturing the voice of the, sp- the person and all the personality of the person. And I'm like, that's what's happening right now. Like Heber J. Grant is talking about podcasts. I mean, obviously he was talking about conference, but also, you know, like that we're spreading the message of God through recorded voice. I mean, it's just the way that God uses technology for good is astounding to me. And the way he puts tools in place and then is able to use them at certain points in his plan. It's just, it's amazing to me. And I think, you know, there was a conference talk a couple years ago. I'd have to go look for it. But it talked about one of the gifts of the Spirit is creativity. And I definitely think that our prophets are led with that spirit of creativity when it comes to hurdling these challenges that have been set by distance or by seclusion in the case of the virus or whatever. And in King Benjamin's case, you know, geographical distance, they couldn't hear him. So, you know, the spirit with its creativity blessed him with the idea of, hey, have these words written down by people you trust and carried out throughout all the people so that they can all know exactly what it is that you're saying. And I don't know. I just think it's really cool the way that the Lord blesses his prophets and then through his prophets blesses all of us. And I think King Benjamin's story was a great example of that. Okay. I know that that was a rabbit trail. Although it kind of kept to the come follow me thing. I mean, we're, we're talking about that first section there. So, but that's really where I kind of went this week was with that. Um, the hows of it, not necessarily the what's of what he talked about, but the how was really what kind of I focused on. I don't know why, but that's what I did. <laughs> all right. Going back into come follow me now. Okay, the second section says, when I serve others, I am also serving God. Do you struggle to find time to serve or wish that your service brought you more joy? What do you think King Benjamin would say if you asked him why he served with all his might, mind, and strength? Okay, so do you struggle to find time to serve or wish that your service brought you more joy? Yes, Um, I struggle to find time to serve. I also you know, struggle with various like, you know, shyness and stuff like that, not wanting to be a bother to people. And, um, yeah, I, I, I kind of run up against that barrier a lot in my mind when it comes to serving. And that's something that I'm struggling with. But I also think in being in a unique situation where we kind of are on lockdown right now, that all of a sudden we have all the time that we need to serve and, um, but we can't do it personally. So how do you serve when you're in lockdown, you know? And one of the ways that I've thought, you know, is of course doing this podcast, but I also thought, you know, because I'm obviously not at school with my kids. I don't know what to do to reach them. So I've been recording stories and stuff online. I mean, I have the technology, the tools to do it because of the podcast, but then also have the know-how to do it, you know, and there are lots of other librarians out there that were like, how are you doing this? Teach me how, what software are you using? And I was able to tell them and, um, kind of spread that too. But that was a service I was like, I I can do this. I have books at my home. I have the technology to do this. I can serve those around me by recording these stories and um, putting them out there. And if you want to see them, they're on YouTube. Just search one word like all together. It's Mrs. Austin Reads, M-R-S-A-U-S-T-I-N-R-E-A-D-S. Put it all together and the channel will come up and you'll be able to find Mrs. Austin Reads um, because I'm reading to my kids. But that was one of the ways I decided to serve this week. Also, you know, being in the stake primary presidency, we're very concerned with how do we minister and how do we serve those who are underneath our care and reaching out to those primary presidents and the people in the various primary presidencies and making sure that they're okay so that they in turn can then minister to their teachers who can then in turn minister to the families and the children that they teach. You know, the Lord has a system and it's just beautiful to me, the system that he has. So those are some of the thoughts that have been going on in my mind about ministering this week. 
What do you think King Benjamin would say if you asked him why he served with his might, mind, and strength? And that's in Mosiah 2.11. He says, But I am like as yourselves, subject to all manner of infirmities in body and mind. Yet I have been chosen by this people and consecrated by my Father, and was suffered by the hand of the Lord that I should be a ruler and a king over this people, and I have kept and preserved by his matchless power to serve you with all the might, mind, and strength which the Lord hath granted unto me. Okay, I think King Benjamin would say, if we asked him why he served, that it was a mission given to him by his Heavenly Father. I think he felt like he was divinely appointed and he was given that task by his Heavenly Father. So I want you to think in your lives, what are tasks that you have been given specifically by your Heavenly Father? You know, when we talked about Jacob, Jacob got his calling from the Lord. What are callings that you've been given from your Heavenly Father? Um, missions in, in your life that only you can fulfill. You know, what are those things that you can fulfill? And are we putting all of our might, mind, and strength into that? That's something I've been pondering on a lot this week. All right, continuing on. As you read Mosiah 2, 10 through 26, identify the truths that the King Benjamin taught about service and ponder how you can use them in your life. For example, what does it mean to you when you know that when you serve other people, you are serving God? Think of a way you can serve someone this week. So King Benjamin had a lot of really good stuff about service that he said, but I think, you know, the, the pinnacle of it was that as you serve somebody else, you are also serving God. That has been something that has helped me out several times. You know, having worked with the public in public library settings and stuff like that, sometimes you try and help somebody and they don't always want your help, but that always helped me come, come back to it that, you know, I'm going to go ahead and help this person, not because they are being grateful or not because a lot of times they weren't, they were ungrateful, but because it's what God would want me to do. And by being kind to someone who's being unkind, I'm showing my love for God. You know, I'm treating this child of God like God would want me to treat them. Um, That's something that's come to me multiple times. I think a lot about service too. I think about my mom. You know, I grew up seeing, seeing her serve in so many different ways in Relief Society and at church and things like that, but also serving in our community. Um, as a community leader, even before she even ran for office, she was in various different organizations in our community serving and doing things that would help make the community better. You know, she served in PTAs like our whole lives, pretty much, because she was interested in being invested in her child's education and their school and making it a better place. And then once, you know, she'd gotten pretty much through all the PTAs that she could get through. She went to the school board because she was invested in the schools in her city and wanted to make it a better place. And then once we all rolled through the schools and her final child had graduated from, you know, the city schools, then she ran for city council because she was invested in her city and she wanted to make it a better place. And watching someone be in public office, especially now in the age of internet, is so hard. Because I think people, when they criticize that person, they don't necessarily see the person as like a mom and a friend and a sister and a wife. They see the person as an idea. So it's very easy for them to say, oh, this person, blah, blah, blah. And they do this, blah, blah, blah. And just be cruel and nasty and mean about it. Um, So just keep in mind, like the people who are, you know, your politicians locally and wherever you are, they're people, they're, they're human, they make mistakes, but they also try their very best to do their very best. I have to believe most of them are trying their, their best. Um, I know there are some exam, you know, exemptions to that, but I have to believe most of them are trying their very best, but seeing my mom put in the time and the effort 
to be a servant leader. And that's, you know, really the person who taught me that sort of servant leadership was my mom. Um, showing up on the days when it's cleanup day. And, you know, a lot of times politicians will walk into those cleanup days in the community and like they'll wave and smile and be there for the cameras. And then they'll walk away and like the rest of the community members are like cleaning up like the trash and garbage in the parks or whatever. But no, my mom is there from like start to end and she works harder than anybody else there. And, you know, seeing that and seeing how she serves and the time and energy that she puts into her community and making it a better place has always been a really good example to me. And she reminds me a lot of King Benjamin in that aspect of, you know, I've been put in this position and given this position by God, not for me, but to serve others. And that's been a really good lesson for me. All right. Think of a way that you can serve someone this week. Well, I kind of talked about this a little bit earlier with serving my students um, virtually through story time and stuff like that. But I've also thought about this being a chance to make my relationships with my family stronger. Um you know, maybe texting family members I don't talk to that often. Also, (laughs) oh my gosh, y'all, I have a 14-year-old kid who is like almost exactly like me. And we have butted heads so much this week because we both like know everything and think we're right all the time. And so if you have two people who think they're right, but have like different opinions, then, you know, it, it can turn into World War III in our living room like pretty quickly. So, you know, serving someone by spending time with them And when, you know, he says something, I'm like, must be nice to be 14 years old and think you know it all. Um, But just walking away and just being like, okay, you know what? You think that that's fine. And just walking away and serving him by not getting into arguments with him. Like that's something that has come up to with me. And also using this time to create a better relationship with him and to spend more time with him. And, you know, he's not going to be constantly out with his friends. He's going to be here at home and playing board games and going on walks and stuff like that. And using that time to spend that time together, I think, is a good way to serve. All right. So here's the last section we're going to touch on. Um, This is, I can overcome the natural man and become a saint through the atonement of Jesus Christ. It says, King Benjamin, like all prophets, testified of Jesus Christ so that his people might receive a remission of their sins and rejoice with exceeding great joy. He also taught that the Savior, through his atonement, not only makes us clean, but also gives us power to put off the natural man and become a saint. All right, and it tells us to see the guide to the scriptures, natural man. Okay, so here's what the guide to the scriptures, natural man says. A person who chooses to be influenced by the passions, desires, appetites, and senses of the flesh rather than by the promptings of the Holy Spirit. Such a person can comprehend physical things, but not spiritual things. All people are carnal or mortal because of the fall of Adam and Eve. Each person must be born again through the atonement of Jesus Christ to cease being a natural man. Then it's got various scriptures that you can go in and read about the natural man. So natural man to me is pretty much our bodies, like everything our bodies want. Um, you know, because our bodies are set up to take care of our needs. Like, yes, you want to eat food and yes, you want to sleep and things like that. But sometimes our bodies are so driven for that food that it kind of becomes not necessarily a need anymore. It's a want. Like I need to eat. Yes, but I want to eat chocolate cake. You know, I need to sleep. Yes, but I want to sleep for like until 10 o'clock each morning, you know? And so it's knowing when do I trim back on those wants to, you know, to take care of the need, I guess. Um, and another example would be like, I was talking about arguing with my son. I want to be right. Like that's my natural man coming out. Like I must be right. My pride is telling me that I must be right in the situation, but being able to throw my hands up and be like, okay, you know what? I'm going to walk away from this. Like you, you can be right if you want to, like, that's okay. 
Um, to me, that was me struggling against my natural man, my natural inclination to like be the bossy know-it-all that knows everything and to step away from that and say, you know what? Yeah, this time I'll let you win. Like, it's okay. Um, so yeah, I hope that helps. Um, Elder David A. Bednar explained, it is the atonement of Jesus Christ that provides a cleansing and redeeming power that helps us to overcome sin and a sanctifying and strengthening power that helps us to become better than we could ever be by relying upon our own strength. The infinite atonement is for both the sinner and for the saint in each of us. So not only does it talk about, you know, the sinner in us, it takes care of the sin and the natural man, but also the part of us that wants to be good, that wants to do the right thing, that wants to follow our Savior. We are strengthened through the atonement of Jesus Christ. And that comes from a talk, Elder Bednar's quote comes from a talk called Clean Hands and a Pure Heart. And there's actually another really good quote about that, about the part of us that wants to do good and wants to be good. And again, clean hands and a pure heart. It comes from the October 2007 conference. But this quote, this is like backing on up before the quote that's actually in Come Follow Me. It says, the gospel of Jesus Christ encompasses much more than avoiding, overcoming, and being cleansed from sin and the bad influences in our lives. It also essentially entails doing good, being good, and becoming better. Repenting of our sins and seeking forgiveness are spiritually necessary, and we must always do so. But remission of sin is not the only or even the ultimate purpose of the gospel. To have our hearts changed by the Holy Spirit such that we have no more disposition to do evil but to do good continually, as King Benjamin's people did, is the covenant responsibility we have accepted. This mighty change is not simply the result of working harder or developing greater individual discipline. Rather, it is the consequence of a fundamental change in our desires, our motives, and our natures made possible through the atonement of Christ the Lord. Our spiritual purpose is to overcome both sin and the desire to sin, both the taint and tyranny of sin. Prophets through the ages have emphasized the dual requirements of number one, avoiding and overcoming bad, and number two, doing good and becoming better. Consider the penetrating questions posed by the psalmist, Who shall ascend into the hill of the Lord, or who shall stand in his holy place? He that hath clean hands and a pure heart, who hath not lifted up his soul unto vanity, nor sworn deceitfully. Brothers and sisters, it is possible for us to have clean hands, but not a pure heart. Please notice that both clean hands and a pure heart are required to ascend unto the hill of the Lord and to stand in his holy place. And then that's where his quote comes in, where he talks about is both the cleansing, redeeming power of Jesus Christ that helps us and a sanctifying and strengthening power um, that are part of his atonement. And so going back to the example of me and my son arguing about who's right, <laughs> I think it was something stupid. I think I think it was like laundry or something like that. You know, me getting to the point where I'm like, okay, whatever, you know, throwing my hands up in the air and, you know, you can be right this time or whatever. Um, not doing that because I know it's bad to argue, but be doing that out of like true love of my son and wanting peace with him and wanting peace in our home. Um, I think that would be the pure heart answer for that. And, you know, I'm impatient. This I've talked many times about how patience is like one of my struggles in life. And I found myself very impatient this week and very snappy. Um, just the stress of everything, just making me snappy. And, um, I need that cleansing power of the atonement, but I also need the strengthening power of the atonement to help me overcome that, help me overcome that natural inclination I have when I get stressed out or overwhelmed to snap at people, Um, but instead to take a deep breath and to kind of feel the peace of the Savior in my life. And um, 
I hope I feel more of that in the coming months. And that's where I want to stop for today. So I hope you guys are doing okay. I hope you are healthy. I hope you are well. I hope you are staying safe. I love you guys. Have a good week. Bye, y'all. The Savior Said is not an official product or endorsed by The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. All comments and opinions are my own personal opinions and not representative of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. The music used in The Savior Said is Fireflies and Stardust by Kevin McLeod. The hymn quoted in the opening is Come Follow Me, lyrics by John Nicholson. The Come Follow Me curriculum can be found at comefollowme.churchofjesuschrist.org. For show notes, new episode alerts, and other fun and inspirational things, check out my Facebook page at facebook.com slash thesaviorsaid. You can also find me on Instagram. Comments or questions? Email me at thesaviorsaid at gmail.com. Content in The Savior Said is copyright protected. All rights are reserved. Thank you for listening. 